Good evening, everyone. It's Stefan here. I was trying to do this recording through doing video. I tried it initially first for IG Live. However, it's been basically blocking me because it's over 15 minutes. I also tried doing the video with Marcy. However, based on the length or what have you, seems to make my iPad freeze and now I'm basically going to have to restart. This is my attempt to do it just by audio. Now, my video was initially going to be talking about Freemasonry and what basically some of the, you know, misnomers are some concerns that some people have had and some have addressed and made some, you know, rather conspiratorial comments about in the past. Now, for the reason I became a Freemason, well, I'm going to take you back as far as back as the early 2010s when I initially petitioned to join the Lodge St. Albans. St. Albans Lodge 106 operates in the Montreal Grand Temple, which is on Sherbrooke and St. Mark. And at that time, I had contacted this lodge through their website. It took me about a couple of years to initially become a member because I had to get to know my sponsors of the lodge. They had to be comfortable with me as a person and, of course, had to, you know, be able to feel comfortable to vouch for me. Now, when I became a member, I was initiated, I believe, I think in 2011 or 2012, somewhere in that range. Now, I was initiated, and then three years later, I became a Master Mason. I've started noticing that those period of times where there were some conspiracy theories popping up, especially about it being a Satan-worshipping organization, and as well as one that controls the world, and they're the ones behind the world's follies, etc., etc. Now, I'm just going to basically give you a background into what is Freemasonry. Freemasonry was initially a labor union for uh, for stonemasons that were participants in the building of cathedrals across Europe. So mostly these men would have been Catholic or Protestant if they were obviously part of Church of England or Church of Norway, etc. Now, so obviously these men at the origin were all Christian. So that being said, is despite the conspiracy theory being that it started in ancient Egypt, which has no proof, nothing to tie it together, aside the assumptions as well as being literal descendants of the Knights Templar, which is also impossible because the origins of Freemasonry start in either England or Scotland. Neither one of them can guarantee which one was the first one. And also, the Knights Templar ended, I would say, in the end by papal edict to eradicate these men and have them basically killed. 
Now, that is why some people believe that whoever survived in hiding became the precursor to Freemasonry. There might be some legitimacy to that. However, based on the fact of lack of evidence, we cannot make that conclusion. Now, obviously, that being the case, is nobody has any evidence to prove that the two are related in any way, shape, or form, aside of the fact that there is an organization within Freemasonry called the Knights Templar. This is part of the York Rite, which is, from what I've been instructed, is only by invitation only. Now, you have to also profess to be a Christian, and you have to take an oath to Christ. Now, when did Freemasonry become a philosophical organization? They would say that this switch happened in sometime in the early 1800s or so, basically when cathedrals were starting to become less of a commodity and the members of the fraternity at that time wanted to switch over to a philosophical one in order to not die out as a, as a union. Now, anyone who works as a, an electrician or as a plumber will even tell you that they even sign some sort of agreement similar in the way that you take an oath and you swear upon the union or the brotherhood that you're not to divulge certain informations about yada, yada, yada. So that helps conclude a little bit as to why exactly there's some air of secrecy to the order of Freemasonry. There is also, as I mentioned before, the believed persecution. Now, in the time of Adolf Hitler, there was the Nazis who would round up anyone who was believed to be a Freemason and have them put in the concentration camps along with the Jews. This played as far as part as part of the reason why they went into secrecy, but this is not the only instance. As in the times of, let's say, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, there was some persecution because I believe it was the Queen at the time which was part of the basis for Mozart's writing of the magic flute, where he basically wrote, it is believed that he wrote uh, the role of the Queen of the Night as the Queen at the time because they felt that they were being harshly persecuted for absolutely no reason. Now, if you know anything about that opera, it basically is a grandiose story where it's a bit exaggerated, it's a love story in the end. But the basic gist of the story is one man who is believed to be evil by society because of the queen's uh, irrational leanings tends to make people believe that this person is uh, t has taken her daughter captive, even though it's her daughter, if I recall, sorry, his daughter, if I recall correctly as well. And... In the story, they continue on basically showing that the Queen of the Night and her lackeys were basically just trying to hunt down Sarastro, who was part of this brotherhood, just to get access to taking over and having control. So this is obviously a musical, sorry, an opera that was written by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, who was a Freemason 
as well as one of his colleagues in music who wrote the story behind the music, who was also a Freemason. Now, this story, you know, some would say that has very little Masonic uh, influence. However, you know, there's very little to go by when you're actually reviewing the story that would give you that idea, unless you know the history. Now, why did I become a Freemason? Uh, at the time, I wanted to join the organization that men like George Washington, um, Benjamin Franklin, uh, obviously men like Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, uh, Beethoven were all part of this organization. So several people have made the comparison saying that this is an elite organization. You could say that, but if you know anything about these men, these were not rich and powerful men. Many of these were poor, and even if you look today, some of these men are rich. Some of them hold high positions of power in organizations as well as in politics. Many of these men, you will not know that they are a Freemason or not. You will even often see some celebrities, some that hide it, some that don't. One example of a celebrity that doesn't hide it is uh, Shaquille O'Neal, who is a member of a black-only lodge in the United States. Now, if you see him in interviews, you'll see him wearing a um, square and compass ring, but he's a member of the organization that is only for African African American African American males. <clears throat> Hence, why if you've seen him in his uh, Masonic attire, it's a little different from other organizations that you see in the United States. Now, a lot of people make the confusion, the, have confusion about it being involved in what's going on and the maladies of what's going on in the world. However, I'm here to tell you that Freemasonry is not an organization that is completely unified, is not in any way, shape, or form a unified organization. Uh, even in Montreal, you'll have members of the Scottish, you'll have some part of the English Lodge, you'll even have some that are members of a French Lodge. Now, what is the difference between the two, between the three, I should say, is that obviously the Scottish Lodge is very similar to the English Lodges, which typically have a different style of practice. The ritual work is a little bit different. When I mean literal, when I mean, when I mean uh, ritual is basically there's a script that you follow. It's basically you're going through the motions of a story. Now I'll explain that a little bit later, but I'm just going to explain the differences, the slight differences that there are. Now in the front, the English and the Scottish lodges, they have the same rules as far as there being only an organization where only men are allowed to be members and you have to have a belief in the supreme being as well as have no criminal record you have to have basically your family has to be behind it even when you come into the organization they ask your wife if you're okay if they're okay with you becoming a member if you live with your parents they ask your parents if they're okay with you becoming a, mem becoming a member because it can cause some friction if you're living in the same household with someone 
who is not favorable of you becoming one. Now, <clears throat> the French lodges in, differ in this situation because their lodges accept men and women, as well as they accept people who are atheists, some people who, you know, don't hold the same values as someone who would be part of the English and Scottish lodges. Now, obviously, this is what you have in Montreal. I was a member of an English lodge, one that would report directly towards the Grand Lodge of Quebec. They would report to the Grand Lodge of Canada, Grand Lodge of UK after that. Now, there's differences because I would not be able to associate myself with someone who is a member of a French lodge. And for the same simple reason that there's those key differences, as I mentioned, that they don't believe, they don't have to have the belief in the supreme being. I was even told, if you, even if you're spotted hanging out with them, that you could lose your membership. Now, now on to basically what happens in the lodge. Now, initially, when you become a member of a Masonic of, of Masonic lodge. This is not the organization where, where basically you would see the temple outside. This is not what, what is considered a lodge. A lodge operates within those temples and can have, those buildings can have more than obviously one lodge operate from that building. And when you become a member, basically the process is you have to have two sponsors, at least in the lodge that I was a member of. They have to know you for at least two years. They have to vouch for you. They have to do multiple interviews, and one at your home, as well as they have to do one when you're going to the lodge at what's called a business meeting. Now, after that, if they accept you, they tell you, we'll get in contact with you to tell you when your initiation is. Now, your initiation, you're basically completely blinded to the situation. You're put, you're, you're told to go blindfolded. You're told to get into a pajama, and then we go through what's called your initiation. You have a small little paragraph that you have to read as to recite. Now, the reason for them putting you blindfolded is to show that, obviously, that eventually you're going to be given more information. So they're basically saying you're going to be opened up and you're going to be given knowledge. So it's a means of using imagery to show that you went from not knowing anything about it to having some information about it. So it's a very nice way of doing it if that's how you look at it. Now, the whole process is eventually to lead you to become, uh, to play a role of, of a master mason of the building of King Solomon's temple. And this man is named Hiram Abiff. Hiram Abiff was the chief mason of the construction, at least in their mythology. And what happens is this man is confronted by multiple fellow craft masons who wish to have the password to become a master mason for them to get access to the higher wages because in those days they did not operate on giving a membership card or whatnot. This is especially in the time zone they were building um, cathedrals. Basically, you would point yourself to a job site, you would give a handshake and a password to the foreman or whoever's in charge of building that cathedral at the time, and they would determine your wages if you were accepted for the role. So part of the 
role is when obviously you're playing Hiram Abiff is you're asked to give out the password, you refuse, and eventually they fake your death. So basically they make you go from being enlightened to experiencing the pains of quote-unquote death. Now, not anything I'm telling you right now is a secret. These are informations that you could find online, from even from Wikipedia, all the way down to a book that basically describes what happens in each ritual. Particularly, there's this book written that was from leaked information from a man that sold the book, which leads into my next point, where this man in the United States found the ritual books for all of the degrees in Freemasonry at the time and published the book, which was a big no-no at the time because the big rule is, is you're not supposed to write anything down. You're not supposed to provide any of the secrets to people who are on the outside world. Now, this man had disappeared, which gave the illusion and, you know, gave people the thought that this man was murdered and disposed of in a means that was very heinous, so which sparked a very opposing viewpoint towards Freemasonry in the United States, which participated in the fact that there was an anti Freemason Party in the United States. If you follow American history, you'll know exactly what I'm referring to. And the second reason why some people may believe that Freemasonry is satanic is not only from based on what I just finished telling you, is as well as uh, part of a book by Manly P. Hall, who was a 33 degree Mason, would basically describe that every Mason would have to basically worship Lucifer. He wasn't referring to Satan, he was referring to the pagan god Lucifer, who was the god of light and the god of truth. Now, obviously, this man, obviously, I don't know what his walk with God is. He was speaking in in a illusionary manner. And, of course, this man, obviously, professed to have a belief in the Supreme Being. When you're a member of a Masonic Lodge, you are not asked for which God that you believe in. However, each Lodge does have specific four holy books that you're allowed to take an oath upon. However, these rules have been recently added because up until the 1950s, every Mason that was around was a was professed to likely be a Christian because most of the time these would be people that would be going to church. They would, you know, have their friends join and it would be, you'd be going for dinner on whichever day of the week that you'd be going because of your lodge decided a specific date. You would meet with your friends, you would drink and blah, blah, blah. Drinking ended up being banned within lodge because of some issues in the past. So they got sued and they, we're told basically no more alcohol. Now you'll see some lodges will have some in moderation, but they won't be all out um, keggers and stuff like that that you'll see that they would have had in the past. That being said is basically the organization itself has had some bad rap 
and has had some persecution in the past, which contributes to the fact that why they hide what they do, which is part of the reason why some people have the suspicion. However, based on the information that I've been telling you and throughout this podcast is to basically shine some light on what actually happens behind closed doors. Now, none of anything I just finished telling you is a secret. Like I mentioned, this is not something that basically is going to be like groundbreaking. It's not anything that's basically not known. If you buy a, if you, even if you buy the book Freemasonry for Dummies, a lot of the same information is even in this book. So you can feel free to read that book, or you can even feel free to watch other documentaries about it. It will more or less state the same thing. Now, it's not to say that you'll have members who are not men of good standing and of good rapport, because, as I stated, some lodges are operate within the English lodge criteria where they have to have a belief in supreme being, have to have a clean, clean criminal record, etc., etc. So, based on this fact that I can at least speak for the organization that I was a part of, you have to have a good reputation, you have to uh, state that you believed in God, and in my lodge specifically, we are, member, we are a lodge of mostly Christian, and we also even had some Jewish members. So, as I mentioned earlier, you have four holy books that you're allowed to, perf- to take your oath on. The Holy Bible, which was at least the one for my lodge, you had some lodges that were more, I would say, Jewish, so they would swear on the Torah, and a lot of these members will likely be uh, rabbis and whatnot, and as well as you have um, the Quran, and I believe the Sikh book, if I recall correctly, is the only other book that is accepted that you can take an oath on. But as I stated, most of the members that I know of were Christian or Jewish. Now, this concludes my first podcast. I hope you enjoyed your your information that you were given, and uh, have yourself a good evening.